Proverbs 14.34 is uh, one of these verses that's really amazing, and I was praying about today and just what God would have for us, for me. Um, Righteousness exalts a nation, but sin is a disgrace to any people. Well, we love our country, and we love our land, and we're thankful for all that God has done in and through this place. We know that there's some deep things taking place, cultural shifts. I saw this morning somebody interviewing people uh, on the beach, asking the significance of certain things in our nation's history, and these people had no idea. Zip. Not a clue. It was embarrassing. We're watching this whole war about the borders, and we're watching this whole war about what is our nation to be and what direction. And I'm telling you, the factions and the divisions within our land are numerous, aren't they? Sobering. Righteousness exalts a nation, but sin is a disgrace to any people. Our nation's obviously going through a lot of cultural metamorphosis. I love what Dr. Andy Woods said last week that our foundations, our divine institutions are under attack, whether it's the word of God, the church, the family, the nation, the definition of the nations, etc. Let me give you a few quotes from some of our founding fathers. I still, uh, David Barton was so amazing with wall builders, um, being up there with Stephanie at the Capitol and listening in the rotunda as he began to point out founder after founder after founder and what their heritage was, what their training was, pastors and theologians, and it's indescribable. I'll never forget him starting to talk about Benjamin Rush, and I thought, good grief, how does anybody, how do I not know about that, how do we not know about these men, you know? Benjamin Rush stated this about the Bible, and he says, by removing the Bible from schools, we would be wasting so much time and money in punishing criminals and so little pains to prevent crime. Take the Bible out of our schools and there would be an explosion in crime. Think about that. Boy, we've seen that, haven't we? He also said this, let the children be carefully instructed in the principles and obligations of the Christian religion This is the most essential part of education. Think about that. My goodness. I think he'd be run out of town today, wouldn't he? One of our founders. Samuel Adams said, I rely upon the merits of Jesus Christ for a pardon of all my sins. (laughs) What? How many has ever heard that quote? One of our founders. Elias Boudinot is president of Congress. He signed the peace treaty to end the American Revolution. He was the first attorney admitted to the U.S. Supreme Court bar. He's framer of the Bill of Rights, director of the U.S. Mint. Listen to what he said. Let us enter on this important business under the idea that we are Christians on whom the eyes of the world are now turned. Let us earnestly call and beseech him for Christ's sake to preside 
in our councils. We can only depend on the all-powerful influence of the Spirit of God whose divine aid and assistance it becomes us as a Christian people most devoutly to implore. Therefore, I move that some minister of the gospel be requested to attend this Congress every morning in order to open the meeting with prayer. Wow. Our foundations, our institutions, our church, churches are under attack by a thinking that is not from God. We say we trust in God. We say we believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. We just sang it. And we say it. The question is, do we really trust in God? We've got it on our money. In God we trust. But the question is, do we really trust God? Righteousness exalts a nation, but sin is a disgrace to any people. The Bible Knowledge Commentary says this, Righteousness among a group of people has a beneficial effect, but sin among them has an adverse effect. It is a disgrace. It's a reproach. And we look at our land today, and we're seeing fear creep in. Why? Because of safety. We see the horror of abortion. I mean, we can go down this list over families fragmented in the midst of it all. We look at certain things within perhaps our own lives, and it's easy to start pointing the finger out. And the question is, do we trust the Lord? Do we trust the Lord? To walk in righteousness, we must walk with the Lord. Righteousness is, when we talk about righteousness, it's simply walking according to God's standards. It's his truth. It's his integrity. It's who he is. And when we walk with the Lord and we follow the Lord, then God in us begins to empower us to walk in his way. And so we begin to trust him and we begin to walk with him. We begin to be persuaded that he is able and we begin to be transformed in our own hearts and in our own lives and this begins to be revealed in and through us in the midst of everything that we do, all our attitudes, how we live life. And ultimately, Christ is our righteousness. 1 Corinthians 1.30 makes that pretty clear. Christ is actually our righteousness. Righteousness is just activity that conforms to his standard. It means right living. It means activity that is correct, that is good, that is right. And so when we yield to the Lord Jesus Christ and we begin to trust God and walk with God and we begin to say yes to the Lord, then God, through the Holy Spirit in us, begins to empower us in our living, in our activity, in our attitudes, and God himself begins to be revealed through us. We can't accomplish this on our own, but rather we're empowered by the Lord and his strength to walk according to his ways. Three things as we talk about walking in his righteousness this morning. First of all, we need to turn to him. Turn to him. It's a decision that we make. And the second thing is we need to be transformed by him. It's not something that we do in and of ourselves. It's not a checklist that we say, here's, here's what we're going to do in order to be transformed. We yield to the Lord Jesus Christ, who then begins to transform us from the inside out. And thirdly, obviously, we need to trust him. And what does that mean? What does that look like to trust 
the Lord. In Acts chapter 14, verses 14 through 15, we got a great picture of what it means or what Paul says about turning to the Lord, turning to the Lord. And I love this because he's obviously speaking to unbelievers, and so there's a decision for an unbeliever to turn to what they're hearing with regard to their need of God. He says, when the apostles Barnabas and Paul heard of it, they tore their robes. These individuals were trying to worship Barnabas and Paul, and they were distraught because rather than worshiping the one true God, they began to worship Paul and Barnabas. They tore their robes and rushed out into the crowd, crying out and saying, men, why are you doing these things? We are also men of the same nature as you and preach the gospel to you that you should turn from these vain things to a living God who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and all that is in them. Wow, what a beautiful truth. Turn from these vain things. What vain things? Well, they're, wor they're worshiping the wrong stuff. They looked at Paul and Barnabas and began to worship Paul and Barnabas. The gods have come amongst us. No, the, the worshiping of idolatry and all the different things that they were worshiping, that they were caught up in, Paul says to them, turn from these vain things to a living God. He appeals to the crowd to worship the true God. What does vain mean? It means no purpose. It means empty. It means without aim. There's nothing to it. Why worship something that has no purpose? that has no aim. It's without any substance. The question is, even as believers, how have we got distracted to where suddenly we find ourselves worshiping vain things? Even as believers, we get off track and we get our eyes off the Lord and we get our eyes off the foundational truths of who God is and what he's able to do and what he's able to accomplish. And we say we trust God and yet at the same time, we get our eyes off of the Lord and begin to try to fix things in and of ourselves. And all of a sudden, we're perhaps like John told us in 1 John, worshiping idols not guarding ourselves from those idols, and we begin to worship vain things instead of the Lord who loves us, gave himself up for us, and has grace in order to transform us. How much more as believers ought we to be about the things of God rather than pursuing the vain things of this world? There's a lot of vain things out there, isn't there? I mean, we're Americans. We've been blessed in so many different ways Goodness, go to Burma, right? You go to these different nations, you go to these different countries, you begin to, you begin to watch how these people begin to praise the Lord. I loved uh, that I had the opportunity to take Jonathan when he was 14 years old and we went to Burma together. And I'll never forget watching his face, watching the children's face as they worship God. And here these little kids are pouring out their heart to God. They didn't, they didn't know anything else. They weren't looking at one another going, oh, you're singing too loud. You better pipe her down there, buddy. And they're just all out, eyes closed, worshiping God. What a beautiful truth. What a beautiful sight. They have nothing, nothing. The clothes they own is what they've got. 
They don't even have families to go home to. Most of them were staying in the forest with a couple that was taking care of them because their parents had given these children to this couple because they're worried about the drug trade. You, you begin to look at what we have as a people and how are we using it on ourselves instead of giving it back to the Lord saying, thank you for blessing us so that we have the privilege of blessing others. And instead of worshiping vain things, we make sure that we keep our eyes on Christ and worship him. That's the issue. How have we gotten caught up in the things of this world, in the thinking of this world, rather than praising God and thanking him that he's sovereign over everything? Colossians 2.6, he says, Therefore, as you have received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him. What a beautiful truth. Walk here is meaning everywhere I go, and it's a command. Walk in him. We received him by faith. We're to walk with him. How? By faith. Faith is that I'm persuaded that God is able in spite of me. <laughs> I'm so grateful for that, aren't you? Think about that. God is able, and I trust the Lord. When we begin to walk with God in the midst of this life, we're going to go through a lot of different challenges. And the question is, are we getting caught up in the vain things? Or are we keeping our eyes on the Lord Jesus Christ? Are we getting caught up in the material things, the things of this world? Are we recognizing the truer things, the spiritual things? What is it that's made America great? Our ability to create wealth? Clearly not. What's made America great is the Lord Jesus Christ has blessed us. And when you look at the founding fathers, you listen to Benjamin Rush and so many others, and you begin to hear their dependence upon the Lord and the recognition that the Bible is the foundation, that worshiping of Christ is what this is all about. And you begin to understand that the framers began to frame this country and the laws of this land based on the word of God. My goodness, look at the blessings of making sure that we trust in the Lord and we walk with God because righteousness exalts a nation. There is a benefit to walking with God. I like what was said last week. Charlie Clough, Dr. Charlie Clough, he said, uh, basically, he said, I've got a statement. He said, I've got a saying. Godliness is cheap. It's a whole lot cheaper to walk in godliness. There's a whole lot less cost when we begin to walk with God than when we don't. Because when we don't walk with God, sin comes in and begins to sabotage. We get distracted. We get all kind of fragmented. We all begin to get all wrapped up into things that we have to lock our doors at night. We have to pay hundreds of dollars in order to have all kinds of security systems. We got all this stuff going on because why? Simply one reason, it's because of sin. When we walk with the Lord and we walk in his righteousness, being transformed by him, trusting him, then God through us begins to lead us in integrity. And as a nation, we begin to experience that freedom that is actually from the Lord. Romans 5, 1 through 2 says, Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom also we have obtained our introduction by faith into this grace 
in which we stand. We've come into this grace because of the Lord Jesus Christ, and now as believers we stand in that grace and we exult in hope of the glory of God. Or 1 Peter 5.12 where he says, Through Silvanus, our faithful brother, for so I regard him, I have written to you briefly, exhorting and testifying that this is the true grace of God. Of God. He's just expressed the gospel and he says this stand firm in it. Stand firm in the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. Man, what an amazing truth. We stand firm. In that grace. How? Why? Because God saved us. He brought us into the family of God through the cross, through the shed blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. And now, as believers, we have the opportunity of walking with Him day by day, moment by moment. And we have a choice to make. We're going to get caught up in the vain things, or we're going to make sure that our eyes are still fixed on the Lord Jesus Christ. Do we trust Him? Paul tells the Galatian believers, we don't nullify the grace of God. We don't set it aside. And if you doubt that believers can set aside the grace of God, friend, open your eyes. I've done it in my own life, and you've done it in yours, guaranteed. What does it mean to nullify, to set aside the grace of God? It means I begin to trust in me instead of him. It means that I begin to get caught up in the vain things instead of keeping my eyes fixed on the Lord Jesus Christ, who is the main thing. It means that I begin to think in and of my own self that I can fix something or think in and of my own self that I'm capable or I begin to lose sight of the fact of who God is and what I'm not. That's what nullifying the grace of God means. I'm now under a performance as he talks to the Galatian believers, you've placed yourself back up under the tutor. Why are you doing that? You've graduated. You recognize Jesus Christ as public, publicly portrayed as crucified. You have come to know the Lord Jesus Christ. Christ now lives in you. Walk with him. Trust him. It's not a performance. He's the one that performed for us. And we get to walk with him and experience God in and through our lives. Stand in the grace of God. Well, secondly, we are to be transformed by him. Be transformed by him. Romans 12, 1 and 2 says, Therefore, I urge you, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, so that you may prove what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. Present your bodies. Present simply means give over. It's in the aorist tense, not to get wonky on you, but aorist tense is punctiliar. It's kind of like a picture, you know, the old kind, not, not the kind where we use the cameras on our phones all the time and you can just click it on and it just takes off. I'm talking about the old kind where you have to wind it up. You know what I'm talking about, right? You wind it up, you take that picture, hear it click, and then you wind it up. That's aorist. It just punctilious, snapshot, completed action. Boom, there's the picture taken. What he's saying is every time in your life that you have an opportunity, present yourself. Present yourself. Present yourself. Present yourself. Present yourself. Give yourself to the Lord. This is the most reasonable service of worship. 
You give yourself to God. You give yourself to God. You give yourself to God. You're a living sacrifice. You're walking with God. And God will allow circumstances and situations in your life where over and over and over and over and over and over again, you have an opportunity moment by moment by moment by moment. Present, 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 present. People have asked me all kinds of questions about my time here at Hoffmantown, and it's been an amazing time. I tell you what, folks, I want you to understand a couple things about me. I don't own anything, so you can't take it from me. I'm serious. You know, you really think about that. Um, honest truth before God, I believe I can honestly say, and this is a work of God, so if I don't want to come across in any other way than just simply giving glory to God. But my identity is in Christ, in God. And so identity factors and my name and my reputation, <laughs> the Lord, I trust the Lord with that, folks. I really do. At the end of the day, I'm going to stand face to face with the Lord. At the end of the day, I'm going to some, one day I'm going to stand face to face with the Lord. I don't know if you've really thought about this. I've thought long and hard about this because of the, the end of the day. I'm going to give an account to the Lord. And at that moment, I want to tell you something. I don't want to have a whole bunch of baggage that is attached to me. I don't want to have to be worried about all the possibility, uh, the things that are attached. I want to just be able to say, Lord, you're my Lord, and I love you. You know what I'm not. And Lord, I want to walk with you, and I've done the best that I know to walk with you in the midst of the circumstances. Lord, I've tried to present myself to you in every circumstance. Because there's several things that come to my mind with the elephant in the room moment. There's several things that have to trigger in my mind all the time. And I want you to understand this about me. There are certain foundational truths that I don't care what circumstance you suddenly find yourself in the midst of, like James talked about. I don't care what you trip into, what you've stumbled into. Maybe you made a wrong decision and now there's consequences you've got to walk through. Or, or maybe you just tripped into it and it becomes a trial that God's using it in order to test you and produce endurance within you. There's certain truths, there's certain foundational realities for all of us that need to absolutely be locked into our minds so that as soon as it happens, we immediately reflexively run to the Lord. And the first thing is that God is absolutely sovereign. There's not anything that happens in our lives that's not been filtered through his hands first. Period. You've you got to run to that. Because i got to tell you, there's times where you do trip and stumble into various trials. And how do you respond? How do you respond in that? How do you deal with that? And the second thing is, is that God is good all the time. And that God's going to allow certain things in your life that you don't understand but that you can literally run to the Lord and say, it's okay, God, you've got this. I may not, but you do, and I trust you. God's grace is sufficient, is a third thing. His grace is sufficient. And I gotta tell you, in the midst of all this stuff, folks, I've had so many emails from you and so many hugs and just, I appreciate you all and love you so much. Folks, please understand something about my life. And again, I don't say this arrogantly. I just, this is the truth of the word of God. I'm not a victim here. We're not victims. 
We don't live in victimology. We live with the understanding that the Lord Jesus Christ is absolutely sovereign over our lives. Are we perfect? Do we sin? Do we have the wrong attitudes at times? Do we have the right cause but the wrong way of going about it? Yes, anybody can say that they've never done that. You're lying like a dog. We all do that. We all do that. I do that. But the Lord always brings me back. Eric, I'm sovereign. Eric, you're my son. Trust me. Eric, walk with me in a way that you're going to experience me because my grace is sufficient. And Eric, get your eyes off of you because it sure isn't about you. Does that follow? That's the deal, folks. See, in our nation today, what I'm so concerned about, and I see it in our churches, and I say that plural because it's everywhere. What I see is that the world has creeped into the church in such a way that rather than trusting on the Lord, we trust in ourselves. We trust in our own thinking. We trust in the way that we believe this needs to take place rather than just simply trusting in the Lord. And and we look at our nation and we're beginning to get caught up in the vain things rather than keeping our eyes fixed on the Lord Jesus Christ. And in the midst of it, we see all the problems coming in. And the more problems we've got, the more we try to fix it because we think we know the solutions to it instead of just repenting of it and turning to the Lord and saying, Lord, have thy own way. Have thy own way. See, as a people of God, we're salt, we're light. And I want to tell you, this this nation is desperate for a church to get on their knees and on their faces before God and say, Lord, we're not, but you are. You are. And we're going to follow you in everything. Mm. Faith comes from hearing, and hearing is how? By the word of Christ. I love what Spiros, my dear brother, oh, I miss him. You never had a chance to meet Spiros Odiades. Everybody, he, he literally was this tall. I still remember one of the pictures. He was so proud of this picture because he got invited here. Wayne was, uh, my father-in-law was the pastor. Uh, Wayne, I believe, was right up here on his knees. There was a prayer time at the beginning of the service, and they brought uh, Joan and Spiros Odiades, and they stood him right before Wayne while he was praying, and they got a picture <laughs> <laughs> they got a picture of Wayne's face when he looked up and he looked right at uh, Spiros and his mouth was open. I mean, he just thought, what? He, he told me later, Wayne told me later, he said, I, I didn't know what happened. He said, I thought the rapture had happened or I had died and I was in heaven like Spiros Zodiatis is right in front of me. I mean, we had a neat relationship with Dr. Z. He showed me that picture. He was so proud of it. But I love what... Dr. Z said about Romans 12, 1 and 2, and this whole idea of faith and walking with the Lord and understanding what God's word has to say. He says, an expanded rendering might read, stop being molded by the external and fleeting fashions of this age, but undergo a deep inner change by the qualitative renewing of your mind. Such a transformation can be wrought only by the Holy Spirit. Spirit, Stop being conformed to the ways that the world does things and be transformed by the renewing of your mind by the Lord Jesus Christ, the Spirit of God in us who's able to transform us so that when we begin to walk with God, God begins to recognize that in and through our lives, His love is being produced. We are a nation who walks in righteousness, not in sin. And as a result of that, 
People begin to look at the church. They begin to look at believers and they recognize there must be a God and his ability to transform is amazing because the people of God begin to express the love of God because the spirit of God in us is changing us and transforming us. What he says in 2 Corinthians is so powerful. He says, we all with unveiled face, meaning we in Christ have had the veil removed and we're able to recognize the truth of the reality of Christ in us. Beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory, just as from the Lord, the Spirit. It doesn't happen because of us. It happens because we are fixed on the Lord Jesus Christ. And as God begins to do a work in us and we begin to learn to walk with him and trust him and we begin to recognize who he is and what he is able to do and what we're not, then we begin to experience the very power of God in our lives to absolutely revolutionize our lives, our walk, our activity, our attitude. Well, we need to be transformed by him. Folks, we've got to trust them. We've got to trust them. Proverbs 1.7 says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. The respect, the recognition of who he is and what he's able to do is the beginning of knowledge. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. I have my grandfather's wedding ring. I, I have a wonderful spiritual heritage in my family, and I thank God for it. My grandfather's with the Lord now, and uh, I do miss him. He was a pastor, and I listened to some of the stuff that he went through as a pastor. <laughs> my grandmother and he told a story one time. They had a little church uh, upstate New York, they were called there, and there was a parsonage. And so part of their uh, agreeing to be the pastor at this church, they were allowed to obviously live in the parsonage. And they went in, and they began to fix up this very, very simple home, and they had some furniture that they moved around, and my grandmother got it all fixed up and placed to where she wanted it to be. And, you know, wives, you would do this, and I'm sure granddad was dreading the moment when the blinds had to go up. Men, we understand this, Right? If you like putting up blinds, there's something wrong with you. But the point is, is that we, they, they began to do all the fixing, and then they left to go get dinner. And when they came back, there were cars out front of the parsonage. And some of the church members had come and uh, gone into the house without even asking them, and then had changed everything that grandmom had done. They fixed it up the way they wanted it. They fixed it up the way they thought it ought to be fixed up. And they walked in and they said, this is how you have to have your parsonage. I mean, I, <laughs> I'd say, God bless you. See ya. <laughs> I mean, I listened to some of the stories my granddad had. But you know, on his wedding ring was inscribed on the inside of it, Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. How? Oh, trust in the Lord with all your heart. Do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him. And what? He will make your paths straight. 
Philippians 1.6, I am confident, meaning I trust, I am persuaded, I am fully, absolutely immersed of this very thing, that he who began a good work in you will perfect it until the day of Christ Jesus. Or 2 Timothy 1.12, he says, for this reason I also suffer these things. Paul, in writing to Timothy, the very last letter that he wrote, he's in prison, he's about to die. I also suffer these things, but I am not ashamed, for I know whom I have believed, and I am convinced, I trust, same word for trust, that he is able to guard what I have entrusted to him until that day. Wow. Do we trust the Lord? Do we trust the Lord? Are we caught up in the vanity of this world? Are we caught up in the thinking of this world? Have we allowed it to so ingrain the way that we even do church that we don't look any different than a business? We don't look any different than the world. How are we walking with God in a way that the light of the glory of Christ is being seen through us into the world so that people come to us and say, what's this hope that you've got? Our nation's an amazing nation. We have opportunity everywhere. Where's it from? It's from the Lord. How are we walking with God in such a way as we are walking with him with regard to who he is? We're walking in his righteousness. We've turned to him and we're continuing to stand firm in him. We are being transformed by him and we trust him above all. Isaiah chapter 31, 1. It says, woe to those who go down to Egypt for help and rely on horses and trust in chariots because they are many and in horsemen because they are very strong, but they do not look to the Holy One of Israel nor seek the Lord. Wow. What are we trusting in? I was a little kid at one point. I think all of us were, right? And I can remember going to our church in Philadelphia, Grace Chapel, Grace Chapel, Stone Church, was there every time the doors open. We moved from Africa. I don't remember Africa, uh, but we moved back uh, to Upper Darby, Havertown, that area just outside of Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. We went to Grace Chapel. And I can remember being in Sunday school, right? And we had the little chairs. Everybody's all lined up. And we would have a, a teaching time, and then we'd all break up into the grades, the different age grades and everything like that, and talk about the teaching time. Pretty good model, actually. It works. But I can remember the singing, because I love music. And one of my favorite songs as a little kid was Trust and Obey, partly because I knew the words. You know, I could sing it. But I just loved it. I don't know what it was about that. And I, and I always look back on that time, and I can remember there was one particular time. Man, I was singing with all my heart. Trust in the Lord, right? Let me read this to you. Trust and Obey. When we walk with the Lord in the light of his word, what a glory he sheds on our way. While we do his good will, he abides us still and with all who will what? Trust and obey. Not a burden we bear, not a sorrow we share, but our toil he doth richly repay. Not a grief or a loss, not a frown or a cross, but is blessed if we do what? Trust and obey. But we never can prove the delights of his love until all on the altar we lay for the favor he shows, for the joy he bestows are for them who will trust and obey. Then in fellowship sweet we will sit 
at his feet or will walk by his side in the way. What he says we will do. Where he sends, we will go. Never fear, only trust and what? Obey. Trust and obey for there's no other way to be happy in Jesus, to be blessed in the Lord, but to trust and obey. Our nation, our churches, our families, individually. We need to get back to our eyes being fixed on the Lord, not on the vain things. The reality that God is able to transform us as we look intently at who he is and as God himself works in our lives. And then we need to trust him, trust him, trust him, trust him. I appreciate so many of you coming yesterday, and I know many of you couldn't make it for various reasons and all that. I, but I'm glad that you came yesterday to take time to pray and hear some things. We do have copies of the notes from yesterday available for you. And um, you're welcome to that. If we run out, let us know, and we'll get more copies for you. We'll try to send it to you via email. Evidently, some of you have Comcast. And um, when we tried to send this stuff out last week, Comcast had a meltdown, and so we were getting emails kicked back to us. And so some people thought that they had been not included on the list. It was a Comcast issue, evidently. I don't know much about those things, but that's what was happening. But we do have a section on there that we're asking you to pray. And folks, I'm not talking about a two-minute, you know, supper prayer. I'm talking about get on your face before God kind of prayer. I'm talking if the Lord would lead you to fast, and it doesn't necessarily have to be food. Maybe it's TV. You need to just give that up for a week. You need to give up something in your life and say, you know what, Lord, I want to set this aside, and instead of using my time to do this, I'm going to take time to intentionally come before you and pray. And we've got a list here that we're just asking you to focus on. And obviously, as the Lord leads, he'll bring other things to your mind, no doubt. I believe this is a watershed moment for this church. I really do. I'm not trying to dramatize it. I'm not trying to make it bigger than it is. I've been here for eight years. I've listened to this thing in Hoffmantown for probably 16 years. And I believe that it's time to come to a point where we just simply stop walking in what we think and start walking in him. And we just say, yes, Lord. Yes, Lord, no matter what. I'll say this too because I want you to hear it from me. Kim shared it last night, but I really mean this. Um, I am absolutely willing to resign. And I want you to, I don't, I don't, I'm just not saying it for any other reason. I'm just saying this because I love you and I love this church and I love the Lord and it's not about me. And Steph and I are totally resolved in this. It's my son, Jonathan Holland, we're, we, we, our identity is in Christ. And the truth of the matter is, we are totally willing to lay this down, but it's going to be in the Lord's timing, in the Lord's way, and with the affirmation of our elders. That's the way that's going to work. Yeah. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we love you. I thank you that you're here with us right now. 
I do thank you for this church body. Lord, I know there are so many difficulties. There's so many challenges we face. Whether it's next-gen ministries, whatever. We, we, the list is long. We are living in a time and in a day where our institutions are under attack. Whereas the people of God were being called into something that we really don't fully understand. We don't know what the results are going to be. We don't know sometimes even what to do. Which direction do we take? How do we step forward? Do we step forward? Lord, I'm racked in my mind about that. <laughs> I'll tell you, I thank you that you are the Lord. And I thank you that we have the opportunity to trust you in a way, perhaps at this moment, that we've never had before. That perhaps through this body of believers, Lord, you desire to do something that goes beyond us. It goes into our land in a way that people all around us who don't have hope, who don't understand who you are, may have a glimpse of who you are. That through us, as we yield to you and simply acknowledge who you are, instead of getting caught up in the vain things and our own thinking, our own figuring, that through us, your glory will be revealed. Perhaps in the midst of this moment, Lord, you've called us into something that we're kind of squeamish about. We don't really know where to go with it. Lord, I pray that you would be strong. I pray that you would be glorified. I pray that your people would simply yield to you. And that you in and through us, because of your strength, because of your sovereignty, because of your wisdom and your knowledge and your understanding, because of your love and your grace, that through us you would be revealed into this world in order to give this world an opportunity to see something different, see something unique, something that man can't take credit for. That they would see you that they would see forgiveness and that they would see love and that they would see service, not out of duty, not out of a performance mentality, but because we've learned to walk with you and die to self and say yes to you. And as a result, there's joy that cannot be explained in any other way than that it's from you. Lord, I love this body of believers. I truly do. You know that. You know my heart. You know the difficulties and the challenges and my heart is broken over and over and over again about some of the challenges we have faced and I thank God, I thank you Lord for our elders. I thank you for their stand on your word. I thank you for their encouragement to me. I've needed brothers around me and I thank you for our pastors and I thank you so much for so many in this body of believers who desire to walk with you and Lord, I. I know there's people here that are frustrated and I know that they're looking at the circumstances and I know that they're looking at the, the situation and they're not sure exactly where to go with it. And I understand that, Lord. 
It's like David being out in the wilderness, being attacked and, and he was confused and he didn't know what to do and all he could do was go back to you. Oh Lord, I pray that as the people of God we would just go to you. Just go to you. That we would trust you, walk with you. And Lord, I pray that you do a work in each and every one of our hearts. I pray that you do a work corporately throughout this body of believers. Draw us together in a way that perhaps has never been seen in this area in the Southwest. And I pray that revival would take place. Lord, I pray that we get serious about sin and just confess it and agree to you about it. I pray that we get on our faces before you as a holy, almighty, omnipotent God and just simply say, yes, Lord, whatever you choose to do, our lives are not our own. They are yours. We rejoice because we know that you can do great and mighty things. But it, even if you don't, in the way that we want you to, we know who you are and we trust you in it. And as a result, we can walk with you and say yes to you and we can have joy in the midst of anything that we go through because you're the Lord. You're our, Lord, you're everything to us. I thank you for your grace in it. Father, speak to the hearts of your people. Thank you for your word. Thank you for this country, the opportunity to celebrate this nation. Thank you for our founders. Thank you for our leaders. I pray that you would bless each one as we gather as families, as we travel, perhaps this week, as we celebrate this great land. Lord, help us to keep our eyes on you and be reminded that our blessings come from you you're the blesser. And in you, we've been blessed with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. And I thank you for that. Guard our hearts, guard our minds, guard our way. And Lord, may you be glorified in and through us. And in Jesus' name I pray. And all God's people said, amen. Have a wonderful fourth. God bless you. Thanks for being here today. Take care.